Welcome back to the Digital Dive Podcast, a conversation about tech. My name is Darsh. I am one of your hosts. My name is Jacqueline. I'm your other host. And in this week's episode, we're talking about the rumored March 8th Apple event. Google finally acknowledging some connectivity issues in a quote unquote small number of pixels. S22 Ultra are more refined thoughts on it. And then one other special story at the end of the episode. If you like what you hear this episode, make sure to smash that follow button on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And make sure that you get notified of every episode that we do. And it truly does help us get this show out to even more people. Thank you. We really appreciate it. Roll the intro. All right, Jacqueline. So uh, last week we talked about this a little bit as it was kind of still in the rumor mill and it still very much is, but a March 8th Apple event is kind of coming and approaching quite quickly. I feel like we're probably going to hear about it before this episode launches. So assuming that it does and it is confirmed uh, that we can expect this launch event, I wanted to break it down and talk to you a little bit about what we can expect. Some cool things that I think will, I guess, add a little spice, add a little little spice to uh, the Apple lineup, which I'm kind of excited about. Yeah, I feel like everyone in the tech community needs this event right now. Like we need an Apple event to look forward to because it's been a minute since the last one. And so it seems like the rumors right now are a redesigned MacBook Air with an M2 chip and multiple color options, a refreshed entry-level 13-inch MacBook Pro with an M2 chip, and then on the desktop end, a redesigned high-end 27-inch iMac with M1 Pro or M1 Max, a redesigned high-end Mac Mini with M1 Pro or M1 Max, and then a redesigned Mac Pro, which I think is probably the one that Marquez will be most excited about and probably most other people will be most excited about, even though most people won't end up buying it. Yeah, I feel like a Mac Pro with Apple Silicon will not only be absurdly fun to play with, but it'll also be, uh, I feel like, kind of overkill. Just with the way that Mac OS works and the way that the Mac Pro has always kind of been in terms of branding and the way that they've always presented it, I feel as though it's going to be a little less than ideal um, in most situations for most people. But what I am very excited for is this new MacBook Air with an M2 chip. Now that Apple has a second generation chip coming out with their own silicon, I think that we can expect a lot more stability updates as well as just overall like better color options because Apple has been playing with their colors a bit within their phone line. So I would love to see that translate over to the Mac line, especially the Pro line, to be honest with you. Like I have a blue dbrand skin on my laptop and everyone asks me if I have a blue MacBook Pro and I always want to say yes because that would be awesome. But lo and behold, does not exist. Yeah. Not yet. Not yet. I think um, the question that I get most asked with any um, new computer, like anytime anyone's buying a new computer, is which one should I buy? And it, it feels like they're they're making that question a little bit harder because they're coming out with all these different configurations. If you were Apple's marketing, right, they're really segmenting the market. Who do you think the baseline MacBook Air appeals to versus a baseline MacBook Pro? Okay, um, I say baseline MacBook Air go for any student that has no interest in anything graphic related. So if you're just going into school for, I want to say like psychology, for example, maybe something in the sciences, maybe something in, I don't know, business. The MacBook Air is definitely well suited there just because you can do all of your word processing, go through the internet, watch cool videos, uh, make cool presentations, and you're not really going to have to, the computer's not going to break a sweat. I mean, given the M2 and the M1 in the MacBook Air have no fan, I believe. That's the way that the silicon has been kind of performing and how it's been uh, working for the past little bit. So I feel like the baseline MacBook Air would be for that. But then the baseline MacBook Pro, I feel like would be for someone who's looking for 
for one, more ports. I think that's going to be their big differentiating factor um, alongside with just a better screen. Because I think that the Pro will always remain with this like new high-end screen with the notch. Uh, whereas I feel as though the MacBook Air will still remain with a lower quality screen or else there isn't enough differentiating the two products to actually provide an incentive to go purchase it. Totally agreed. Yeah. What about iMac Pro versus Mac Pro? So iMac Pro versus Mac Pro is always going to be an interesting one just because the iMac is very much a full desktop with like an, it's an all, it's an all-in-one. It's an all-in-one desktop and it gives you everything that you need when it comes to just using a computer uh, and that being a desktop. But I'm also not a huge fan of desktops anymore just because I don't see the need for them having a laptop and having such powerful laptops that we do. Despite that, I'd say that the iMac uh, Pro that we could probably see are just a higher-end iMac with an M1 Pro and M1 Max. That'll be more for someone who is looking for the best of the best when it comes to consumer-grade electronic computers. Like if you want a consumer-grade Mac and you want the top of the line, you're probably going to go towards a 27-inch iMac because it's going to give you a 5K display. I wouldn't be surprised if you got an 8K this year. Um, a 5K display is absolutely going to happen. We're going to have an M1 Max and the M1 Pro, and we're probably going to have uh, better fan support. And because of its own integrated power supply, we're probably also going to have just much more power going through the system. So I imagine these chips are going to perform much better than they would on a laptop. But the Mac Pro would then go for someone who is more going into the prosumer level of electronics. They want to go into the industry. They want to be making music. They want to be making videos, like movies. Like, th like these people who need this higher-end uh, level or even developers, graphic designers, people who need this high end and this large number of cores <laughs> to run their computer. Because if they do a Mac Pro with Apple Silicon, we already know it's going to be like 13 or 14 M1 Max chips just laid in a row. Like I have no concern in my mind that you can quote me on this. Not really, but you can quote me on it. <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. I, honestly, dude, like I'm just so excited for this event. I don't know. What do you get more excited for from them now? Do you get more excited for the Mac events or the iPhone events? Personally, I get more excited for the iPhone events because I have a better chance of upgrading my iPhone every year or two than I do getting a new laptop every year. Ooh, good point. But this is still going to be an iPhone event because there are rumors that there's going to be a third generation iPhone SE, which I am very excited for because if they do it in the way that I think they will, I don't think we're going to get a home button this time. I think it's going to be an iPhone SE that's going to be kind of like a mini. It's going to be like the iPhone 12 mini pretty much. I feel like that's what we're going to get for the iPhone SE this year because uh, they discontinued it, right? So do you think we're going to get an iPhone SE? I think we're going to get an iPhone SE. I'd say the iPhone SE has become probably the only way that you can get an iPhone without having to buy older generations. Like if you want to buy an iPhone today and you don't have the money to spend on it, it's the only option for the smaller market. And Apple is definitely trying to get into the more competitive space in that realm because they want to convert more of Europe and they want to convert more of Asia over to the iPhone. And many in Asia and Europe do not spend nearly as much on phones as we do here in the Western society. And also things like iMessage generally tend to be less important. Exactly. There. So like the same way that we have this level of bullying that we kind of talked about a couple of weeks ago, like cyberbullying with relation to the iMessage like ecosystem, we can definitely see that if they're able to kind of enter that market from a cheaper perspective, then more individuals would be pulled into the Apple ecosystem. And they do this also with the lowest uh, cost iPad, as well as the iPad Air, both being very good devices. And we're actually expecting a fifth generation iPad Air now coming out as well. There's a ton that's supposed to come out of this event. Yeah. And also do just to quickly briefly touch on the iMessage thing. It actually like, I met a guy last week and I saw that he had an Android phone. Genuinely, like you immediately make an assumption about who they are and who they are not. And I use both, but like, I do feel like there are certain characteristics that Android users have versus iPhone users generally in the United States. And I feel like that's less so in Asia because there's like less of a cultural stigmatism or there's less of like a cultural element 
to iPhone versus Android. No, no, no. I love exactly what you just said. And not even just because I think that that's like, it's a very valid point. But when I was working this summer at this company, it was like a media company, the guy who, uh, like the CEO, he's a huge tech guy. He's very, very into tech. And so one of my first meetings with him, we sat down and we were chatting and he's like, he's like, I want you to be able to sit down and look at something and see all the possibilities behind it. Like if I give you this Apple TV remote, tell me what it can do and don't just tell me it controls your Apple TV. So I'll sit down and be like, wait, there's a gyroscope in it. There's an altimeter probably built in. There's like, there's all these different sensors that can be used as well as having a battery. Um, it has a lightning port, da, da, da. He's like, exactly. See, this is a perspective not a lot of people have. But then he was like, he's like, but then for example, you should be able to also walk in a room, look at the technology that people are using and be able to create an idea of what kind of person they are. And he immediately brought up Android phones. And I was like, I was like, okay, like that's kind of a point. If I go meet someone and they bring up an Android phone, odds are that I'm going to think they're more of a techie person. Me too. I'm not going to think that they're very not technologically inclined, but I'm also going to think that they might be a snob. (laughs) Most Android users I know are really, really big snobs about Android. Like I've gone to Android multiple times and I, when I was on Android, I was that snob. Because like, yo, this is great. This is so cool. And then I got absurdly obsessed with the Apple ecosystem. So much so that to make space for this episode to record onto my laptop's hard drive, I just uploaded 15 gigs worth of stuff to iCloud Drive. And just because I could. Like, it's, it's very much like that's kind of the realm that we live in now. Yeah, I feel like when you meet, like, anyone when and they have an Android phone, for me personally, the immediate assumption is they're more tech inclined. And I also think, like, sometimes and not always, but sometimes it's like a statement. Like, oh, I don't, I don't use iPhone. Like, and especially yeah, like I'm my own person, Yeah, especially with our age group. Like, I think it's less relevant, like maybe like 30, but I feel like in your twenties, there is like this, I don't know. Like I, I definitely have friends that have met guys before that won't like date them because they use an Android phone, which is so oh, dumb. I know those girls. But, like, I know girls like that. That is uh, I like, like I understand there's like a certain level of it's my, my buddy says it's like, there's, you cannot be discriminatory towards anyone in society unless you're choosing um, who you want to date because that's all based off of personal preference and attraction which I guess makes sense when you think about it like that but you make assumptions about someone based on what they like what tech they use almost in a way that, that's like a little too shallow like okay like fine I get some girls want a six foot tall guy who's ripped and has abs sure understand it he uses an Android phone. Is that really that big of a turnoff? Like, <laughs> like seriously? <laughs> it's like off the list. Yeah it's so funny. I mean it's kind of though like Imagine if someone asked instead of like for your Snapchat, if they asked for like your MySpace, you'd be like, all right, <laughs> like I'm probably not going to want to go out with this person or be friends with them. Snapchat is so trash on Android. I don't blame them. Oh, I, I just don't blame them. Like that's just a little hit over there to, to Android, but I don't blame them at all. Yeah. And not to like compare Android to MySpace because actually like I, I like iOS and Android equally, but I'm just saying like from certain people's perspective, they do view Android as like inferior. Like if like they're like a pop, like a average person I guess a lot of people like think iPhone superior and so like it kind of is like that like it immediately makes a statement which I actually think like in a way is good because then like you can find people that have that similar interest like when I meet someone they have an Android phone I'm much more likely to talk about my job because I feel like they'll understand what I'm saying even though like I've actually met a lot of people that are iPhone users that are techie too it's just that there's so many more iPhone users than there are Android users in my personal life that like the chances of someone just being a general user and an iPhone user are much more likely. Well, okay, I have a question for you. As someone who's very technologically inclined and who also does play with a lot of consumer electronics, when you go and see someone with an Android phone, do you guess what the phone is? In your I head? do. Like, is that your ga- is that a game you play? I do. I do the same thing. And I started doing this in Ubers. Like I call an Uber to go to a bar, like to go to a restaurant, or go visit friends, wherever I'm going. And I get in and the Uber would have an Android phone. Half the time, it's always the case. It's either Android or maybe it's an older iPhone. 
and I'll sit down and I'll just start chatting with them about their phone. I'll be like, what do you, what do you, what's your experience like? How do you like the camera? Oh, the Snapdragon like 854 is fantastic in there, isn't it? Like it's just like stuff like that. Just just throwing around random things and they'll usually talk back with me about it. They'll, they'll converse with me just because they understand that level of tech that I feel like most consumers don't get. Yeah, dude, I, I was at a party one time and I met someone and they had a, I think at the time it must've been like the Note 5, like it was a long time ago. And I literally talked to them for 30 minutes about their phone. And I was like nerding out. Like it was my first time like using a note in that. And I was like, oh my God, like, let me try the camera. Let me try the display. And like, they actually understood stuff. It's so fun. Like I, it definitely does give you the ability to like relate to someone. Oh, absolutely. Like I, I know that this, this is literally my party trick. It's like, I'll go to a party and someone will just like raise their phone. And I'll be like, yo, like, like they'll be like, what phone is this? I'll be like, oh, this is that's like, funny. 815. That's like, funny. Like, I'll just like, I'll just start like listing them off kind of thing. And I, I figured it out. Cause at least most companies have the similar design language across their entire range of phones. But the one time I found it extremely funny uh, I was in an Uber driver. Well, I was in an Uber once and uh, the driver was like talking about upgrading his phone to the new one plus. And this is right as the Google Pixel 6 came out. And he was like, oh, I was like, why don't you want to get the Pixel 6? Like, it's supposed to be amazing. It's going to run the Tensor chip. And he's like, I don't trust the Tensor chip. Tensor chip. He's like, that's wow. too much of a first generation product. There's going to be too many issues. Well, guess what? He was right. There are a ton of issues. And Google has actually acknowledged the Wi-Fi issue in a very small number, quote unquote, of Pixel phones. And the fix is supposed to be coming in March. Kind of an update from the topic a couple of weeks ago, but it's kind of hilarious. Like this guy foresaw that and was like, yeah, I, I just don't trust it. And he was absolutely right too, because first generation hardware tends to have a lot of bugs, especially when you're doing first gener generation hardware and software for the first time. It seems like it's a software issue though. Like if they're able to fix it in a software update, then it can't fundamentally be a giant issue with the hardware. Well, it would, well, the fact that it's only becoming an issue on this Pixel 6 would indicate that it's coming from the Wi-Fi and Bluetooth chip that are embedded in the Tensor chip because the Tensor chip actually is where those connectivity chips sit. Or maybe the code that can communicates with it. Like, I don't actually think that the chip is broken, but maybe the code that communicates it yeah, with it is. Like the ability, like their ability as Google to connect that chip with, to pretty much connect that chip with, the software, I feel like they're not used to that yet because it's on their own silicon. So it's their own fundamental base where they've usually been using Snapdragon in the past. I feel like that conversion has not been the easiest for Google software developers. Yeah, that's, I mean, I also think that when they, they basically like released an update in January and then it broke things again upon the release of the most recent patch, which causes some devices to just randomly toggle off Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. So it's like, it doesn't seem like the chip is broken. It seems like the code it's off, which is even weirder because Google is a software first company. And so for them not to be able to like figure out how to do the code is definitely pretty surprising. Um, and it makes me think that it, they must have had to redo part of the code to communicate with the new chip. It's like what my guess would be. Yeah, like it, it's interesting. So this article that The Verge put out pretty much says that Google said that of course, we realize this is a poor experience and immediately developed a software fix that will be available in the next Google Pixel update, dot, 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 rolling out in March. I know. God. And then Google also says to contact its support team to, quote, unquote, to explore other options in the meantime. But 9to5Google had pointed out that if you actually install the Android 12L Beta 3, it seems to have solved the problem for most individuals. But that may be another issue that could arise by doing that update. So I wouldn't I wouldn't personally recommend it, but if you want to try it, try it and then tweet us at Digital Dipod. Let us know what you think. Yeah, I mean, so I um, am reviewing the S22 right now. And we'll, we're going to talk about this after we take a quick coffee break. But just to kind of lead us into that topic, I say in like the video, this is like this phone has come out kind of at a perfect time for Samsung because Pixel should have been the phone that was recommended in this price point. But it's so problematic with all these glitches now that people are just really not recommending it. Like Marquez took away his recommendation now for the Pixel 6 Pro. Because it's such a great phone, but 
if it's not a great experience for everyone, then it can't be a great experience for anyone in a sense. Like, because you don't know if you're going to be the person that has a bad experience with it. No, literally, you don't want to be that person who buys the phone, spends it outright, especially. Like, imagine going to buy a phone outright. You spend like $1,500 on it, let's say, Canadian, so like 10 bucks US. Sorry, I'm always going to make that joke. It's just the easiest one for me. Um, <laughs> but effectively, you go spend all this money on this phone. You you feel like your pockets feel a little empty. Your heart rate's a little accelerating. You feel a little anxious, like, uh, like I just spent a lot of money on a phone. I hope it works. And then it doesn't. Like, the fundamental things within a phone that I think that you need in 2021 or 2022 now is you need to have a decent camera. You need to have a decent battery life and you need to have decent processing power. And then above, above all else, you, you need to have decent connectivity, whether that be phone reception, texting, Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, anything and everything to do with connectivity, that is your hub for it. That's everyone's hub for it. Whether you have a very expensive or a very cheap phone, you need good connectivity. And if you're buying a Pixel, you expect the best because it's Google. And if it doesn't satisfy those expectations, what else are you going to do? Yeah, so... I also think that the other issue with the Pixel is, or in Pixels in general, not even just the 6, is that sometimes they start out really fast and then they progressively get slower over time, which again is another software thing. It's just weird because Android is obviously the, the operating system that's on all these other phones and they don't seem to have the issues. So I wonder what's going on in the way that Google has the hardware and software interface with each other that is causing issues like this. Because to parallel it, Right after we take this quick coffee break right now, we're going to come back and talk about the S22 and S22 Ultra, which now suddenly Samsung has one of the best software experiences on the market because Oxygen OS has kind of changed because of the uh, merger. The Pixel's a little bit unreliable. Moto isn't really in the game as much. Who would have thought that Samsung would be one of the best experiences considering that they like used to be one of the worst with how heavily their devices were skinned. Touch was used to suck, but you know what doesn't suck? Yeah. A great coffee. And while we grab that great coffee, I'd love to ask all of you down there just to go drop a nice review of the Digital Dive. Let us know what you guys think. Let us know what your thoughts are on this episode and how we can improve and what you guys are loving. Love to hear more about it from you guys. We'll be right back after this quick break. Welcome back from the break. So, Darsh, S22, S22 Ultra. I know you just watched Marquez's review of the S22 Ultra. Let's talk about that one first, and then we'll hop into S22. Absolutely. So, the S22 Ultra, I've found, is probably one of the better contenders, I think, this year for top-end Android phones. Just generally in terms of design, I, I'm going to speak more from what my perspective is and how I've kind of looked at it. Um, but very much from a design standpoint, I love it. I think it looks so clean. It looks very modern, and it very much does look intuitive. Like just the way that everything is structured, it has the rounded back edges, it has the S Pen, and it very much is an, not going to say Note 22, I'm not going to say Note 22, it's very much a Note 22. Um, but at the same time, I don't have any gripes with it. The only gripe that I've found, and I'm not actually using it, these are all based off the reviews and videos I've seen, and my overall analysis, I guess, of it, having used so many different Notes and Samsung devices, the battery performance could be a lot better. Stylus, I've never fully gotten used to, and I know that for a lot of users who are going into the Samsung ecospace uh, and having never used the S Pen, are going to find it kind of difficult, and I haven't heard the greatest thing about the night selfies. So... Over, from an overall point of view, I think the S22 is, it seems like it's amazing, amazing camera. The S Pen is definitely versatile and offers a unique value prop that you don't see very many places. And it's overall just super snappy with the new uh, 8 Gen 1 from Qualcomm. So I think it's it's doing a pretty good job, but that's just my opinion. Jack, what are, what are your thoughts on having actually used it? Yeah, so S20, so I'm reviewing the S22 right now. So in terms of like the review process, I just finished 
like I just took my SIM out of S22 and now I'm on the Ultra. I'm trying to spend like two weeks with each phone. So mm-hmm. the S22 Ultra, I think like it's like basically like a note, right? Like I think that what we're seeing with Samsung is that they're trying to simplify their lineup. And again, like this is not necessarily the death of the note. Like it could come back, but I think it's pretty unlikely. I think what's happening here is they're simplifying their lineup to be the ultra premium phone, which is the ultra, the really premium, like get it a thousand dollar phone, which is a plus, And then the foldable phones, which is kind of like at one point in time, the note was like the enthusiast out there phone that most people didn't get, right? They had the note edge, which had like the edge on it. The note was just like a phablet, like a giant phone. It's, and it had it like a stylus, like it was kind of an out there phone. And it had some pushback from the market in the same way that now the Fold does, right? Where the enthusiasts love it, but the general market's like, eh, like, I don't know. And so I kind of feel like the Fold is filling the gap of what the Note used to be because now the Note is kind of mainstream. And so Samsung realized that and they put all of the key features from the Note into the S22, into the mainstream phone. And the reason why I'm even more sold on this idea is because I saw that Colin and Samir just did an ad with Samsung. And so... Obviously, it's an ad with Samsung, which means that they approved the copy for it. And the copy for it says, the S22 Ultra is a serious upgrade for Note users. Like, I feel like that to me, the fact that that's the way that they took the ad, right? They they had them focus on, it's a good upgrade for Note users. Feels like to me that they're trying to make it like the phone that gets Note people. Well, yeah, I'd say so. Like, I think that a lot of people would like to have the Note, but for a very long time, they haven't been able to. So many have kind of defaulted to the Flip and the Fold lineup, which isn't a bad thing, but I feel like the Fold and the Flip lineup aren't living up to expectation for a lot of these users. Because though they are cool and they're unique, you still see a crease. Um, It's still like not the greatest when it comes to battery life. It is very expensive. So finding that common ground where you can still get all that professional power that you'd be able to get from the Note prior to, you can now get now with the S22 Ultras, which I think makes it very much, it's very unique in the way that it's presented there. Yeah, I mean, I also, I would also say that I think it's like the people that bought the Note, I think they'll split the market. I think that some of them will get the Fold because the Fold now has the S Pen support. But I also think that some of them will do S22 Ultra. And I think that as time goes on, the foldable tech gets more and more easier to use a Fold. Like there are less compromises. We'll see more and more people switching to that. But I think it's really important for Samsung that they have one ultra premium phone that, that can be like their hero product that they put in ads, they show working with the ecosystem, et cetera. So the ultra to me makes a lot of sense. I think it's a phone that just like had to happen. S22 and S22 Plus also are just phones that had to happen. Like they're just good phones, easy phones to buy. You walk into a store and you get one. But the thing that I think that that brings up is the phone interesting enough. Like Marquez's video basically is talking about how the S22 is a good phone, but a boring phone. What do you think about that? Like, do you feel like phones have to be interesting or should they just purely be for their utility? I think in today's day and age, just based on... Okay, so let me go to a little bit of uh, an economics lesson for our viewers, just because I feel like I kind of want to use my degree a little bit because I haven't really used it much in the past four years. If you look at a market, right? And this is like very much uh, monopolistic kind of competition for the most part. You have a couple of big companies, like it's pretty easy to enter in terms of like just general like barriers to entry. Like no company's gonna stop you from getting in because it is a free market. So I would relate it mostly to a monopolistic competition. Maybe I'm wrong there. Maybe it's more of an oligopoly. Regardless, the biggest key factor for these products, because they tend to sit around the same price range, is rather than having a price like discriminatory pricing practices where like everyone just consistently raises the price. Like Jacqueline, for example, have you ever gone 
and seen two gas stations across the street from one another and see that they're pretty much competing at the same price. Yes. So say, for example, one of them decides to raise their price. The other one is going to uh, like everyone who goes to that one is going to go to the alternative because that alternative is cheaper and it's the same pretty much homogeneous product. You're getting the same thing from the same place unless you have like a points or something like that. So there's these different factors because if you lower your price or you raise your price, you're just going to draw or pull people in and that becomes kind of anti-competitive in terms of their pricing practices. So when it comes to phones, you need to have that differentiation factor where it makes you different. And if Samsung here is making a good but basic phone, something that is going to, it's going to satisfy all your expectations, but it's going to be a little bit boring, I guess that's not the greatest. I feel like they need to have some kind of pizzazz, but after so many iterations of the S lineup being so gimmicky, I feel like the S22 and the S22 plus are actually very much refreshing in what they offer. Agreed. I also think that we're at a point in late stage tech where like things are so iterative that like you have to look from this year to like four years ago to really see how amazing tech is versus like this year to last year. That is actually a phenomenal point. That is, that is an absurdly profound point. So like if we search up the Samsung Galaxy S9, which I'm actually going to do right now, because I kind of do want to have like a direct contrast with what it looks like. This thing is butt ugly. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember it. I remember it because I actually used to use one. I had one for a little bit that Samsung had provided for a video. And honestly, honestly speaking, this is such a welcome change. The phone looks so much more professional. It looks more, it looks more industrial almost, but while also offering these cool colors that give you this... Uh, more of a, I guess, fun vibe. So it gives you more of that like iPhone 13 versus the 13 Pro kind of vibe where you're going to get uh, more colorful phones and you're also going to be able to get like good power. But if you want the Pro, you just go for the Ultra. Interesting. I agree. I think the people that buy the S22 Ultra are going to be the people that either A, were note users and they want a new upgrade or B, power users that just want the best of the best. And then I think the people that are like really enthusiasts, like want to show off that they're on the bleeding edge of tech will get the fold. Yeah. I think that's a big one. I think that's a huge one. Like I know a couple of people who do have the fold. Um, some have the flip and they're very, I'm at the forefront of tech and uh, I'm better than all of you. So bye. <laughs> uh, like that's kind of like their perspective. Uh, so it, it is very interesting how these phones sit and where they do end up kind of going with everything. I, I'd be very excited to actually get my hands on one and Samsung, if you're listening, just shoot me an email. I think that you would be uh, a ton, a ton of fun. But the thing is with these phones is that before they end up coming out, we tend to actually have a pretty good idea of what's going on with them. And that's mostly because of leaks. And now leaks have evolved quite far from what they used to be from a really shoddy picture from the factory and uh, wherever they're, wherever they're located or from different renders that we're getting. We're getting now drone footage of these factories and of these, uh, I guess, products being presented before they're actually in production or available for consumers to buy. Uh, Jacqueline, thoughts? Yeah. So this topic was spurred from a video that MKBHD made about leak culture and drone culture in relation to Tesla. Darsh, do you think it's worth it to give a little explanation about what the video is about before we hop in? Absolutely. Okay, cool. So the video is basically about how a lot of companies, as consumer drones have become more of a thing, people are like flying their drones near factories or headquarters of companies to try to get like a sneak glance because now since we're in late stage tech, there are a lot less significant leaks. Like the days of leaving an iPhone at a bar are over. They're A-grade security. They don't leave anything anywhere and they're pretty good at the factories as well so there are some leaks that come out but normally they're nothing like major they're more intentional leaks and like some products that are surprise products are still like surprises like the cyber truck was not leaked at all until it's launched right so that's kind of the where we're at and so because of that any sliver of leaks 
gets people excited, any sliver of like seeing what's to come. And so these people are flying their drones and every single day they post a new video about what they're seeing. And so in the, when Apple Park was getting created, they were flying the drones there all the time. And now since Apple employees are working there, Apple is like banned that. And now drones can't fly there anymore. And a lot of companies are pretty against it. They don't want it. Um, it's a safety risk. It kind of like devalues their work because things get leaked and then they don't get to present it to the public the way they want to. But Tesla has zero marketing, no marketing budget, et cetera. And obviously that's a little bit of a loaded take because like they do certain things that go viral, but like they don't have a marketing department per se. And so they're actually letting people fly the drones near the factories and stuff. And because of this, recently someone caught a glimpse of the Cybertruck and now they think that it's going to be coming to market really soon. And they saw a glimpse of like an updated car with updated mirrors and stuff. And we saw the yoke for the first time that way. And so Marquez's take is basically like, this is really good advertising for Tesla, but at what point does someone take it too far and hurt an employee or leak something Tesla doesn't want leaked and Tesla steps in. And that's kind of just like the summary to bring everyone up to date on what the video was about. That was a very, very good rundown. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, there are a ton of different, uh, I guess, issues and implications here that we do have to kind of concern ourselves with. And one of which is just very much privacy. I feel like flying a drone over private property is definitely still considered trespassing. Mm. And that's one aspect of it. So if a company is very much against uh, drones being flown, but then another aspect of it is also, I know in Canada, you actually have to have a pilot's license. Uh, now to fly a drone. I know, it's so crazy. So like there are other factors. So I, I think that if the US were to have, I guess, implications like that associated with flying, because it is very fair. A lot of these drones do go very high up and some can interfere with, I guess, uh, the instruments within planes, but also just your flying in um, commercial airspace. Like you have to kind of acknowledge and uh, present yourself as if you are, because that's how it works. So that I feel like is a huge implication, but then overall, just these companies are they have to get better at hiding their things i think that there's one aspect where it's like okay like no drones on campus like that's fine but i feel like just generally the leak culture has been so it's been so easy to find leaks and kind of hear about everything coming out before they actually do and even apple has gotten a lot worse about hiding it like i feel like it's become so much easier to to kind of hear from and find more about what's going on from them uh, than we could in previous years which has become slightly more interesting than expected how do you feel in general about like 2022 leak culture? Like, do you feel like we're in like the leak era or do you feel like it was better in like the early 2000s, 2010 around then? Oh, I think we're definitely in the leak era. You kidding me? We have, we have high definition photos or I guess we have high definition cameras on each of our phones that take these amazing stellar images. And just imagine if someone walked into an, like a Samsung factory. I walked in with one of Samsung's new phones because they work there. And they have, they get the discounts. They get a nice new one with the best camera and everything. Walk in to start taking pictures of their pretty much entire lineup of uh, rumored products that are meant to come out. Right now at MWC, I know there's going to be a ton of Samsung launches this coming week. And so at least I believe MWC is this week. Anyway, like whenever MWC does happen, Samsung, LG, all these companies are going to have huge bunches of uh, new tech that's going to be coming out. And we're going to be hearing about all of it probably a week prior because a lot of this stuff is going to be on production line and it's going to be out there and there's going to be, it's going to be so much easier to leak. It's a lot easier than I feel like it was going to be say 10 years ago yeah and i also feel like though because there are less updates every year the leaks that come out though are like much less significant than they were 10 years ago oh yeah it would like in the past it'd be like brand new iphone design it would actually like be redesigned and now it's like iphone looks like it took one centimeter off the bottom like it's just like a very different type of leak now it's very true and that's because like i feel like we've hit a 
I want to say plateau in the consumer electronics space in terms of technological advancement. A lot of it has gone from hardware and design focused to more so uh, software and AI focused, which again, another buzzword being AI, but it is true. I feel like that's a lot of where we're headed right now. No, dude, like in a completely different topic change, Darsh and I were talking about this off podcast, but I just want to talk about it on the podcast. Darsh is officially playing Wordle now. This is true. This is true. I am playing Wordle. Um, my roommates started playing it, and so I started feeling a little competitive with them. So I started playing it on a morning basis now. Like every morning when I wake up, I find it's probably one of the best ways to get my brain started. Also pushes me to get out of bed. Uh, so I end up doing one, and I like I look at TikTok when I wake up, and then I'll go uh, play Wordle, and I'm like, okay, my brain feels challenged. I'm going to get up and go do work, and I'm going to get ready. What's your go-to first word? My go-to first word is a do, A-D-I-E-U. It has a lot of vowels, and if none of them are selected, then I know that the only other vowel that can be used in a word would be O, and that just makes my life a lot easier because then I can narrow down words that only use O uh, rather than E or A or uh, U or I. Then also D is a very common consonant, so that also crosses that off the list. Do you feel like it's cheating to always use the same word every day? I know some people are like anti that philosophy, and then other people are like, no, it's just a smart strategy. And I think it's just a smart strategy because ultimately the game is a guessing game. It's guessing and power deduction. And if you can figure out one word that like if I find a word that's better than a do in terms of vowels and consonants, I would probably end up using that. But this has yielded me the best results because I've played eight games so far and I haven't lost one. So I feel like it gets me to where I need to go. That is wildly impressive. Honestly, I was playing Wordle for like maybe a week in a row. And then I just found, felt that I did not know enough words um, to be able to play it. Like I, that type of game does not lend itself to my strengths. And so like, I was not able to figure out, like if I had like a word and there were like, I had four out of the five letters, I just didn't know enough like random words to fill it in. Like tacit was a word this week. I got it on like the sixth try, but it was rough. Yeah, like I think uh, I think it was yesterday. I got on the I think it was yesterday. I got on the sixth try, and it was the word was thorn, and uh, my I had the last four letters for three rounds. Yeah, that it just keeps happening, and then yeah, when you when you get to that and you just keep getting the same four letters but no progress, you're like, oh my god, like what am I going to do here? Yeah, exactly. I remember, I think the first time I played and I actually won and I was like, it was the first time I played, I wanted to win. I started Googling midway through and I realized I'm like, that's really much, that's cheating. I was like, <laughs> I was like, it's the same thing as doing the crossword where you're like, Hey, what's a 10 letter word for presumptuous? Or I don't know, I guess it would be assumptions yeah. and you say presumptuous, like something like that, right? Like that yeah. kind of interaction I feel like would be more on brand with what I was trying to do, but it's still, I find is cheating because you can just Google now. And it's just like, I just Google like, oh, okay, E-C-K. Uh, last last letters of a five-letter word, like what could it be? And I just like guessed one, I got it right. Like I found one, I guessed it, and it was right. Yeah, and then and then you feel like you're only cheating yourself, right? Because it's like exactly you're you don't you're not actually like no one's paying you to do this, so you're only kind of like hurting yourself when you cheat or look stuff up. Exactly. So that's what I was thinking when I was sitting down. I was like, oh, okay, that didn't feel nearly as satisfying. Then I didn't play for a couple of days, and I tried again, and I was like, you know what? I am, I, I got this on my own four tries. I am absurdly happy with myself. This is such a bigger, I guess, dopamine hit, serotonin hit than anything else I'd experienced. So yeah. like, ah, this is good. It's a nice feeling of accomplishment that I need in the morning. Uh, it makes me feel like I'm accomplished before I get out of bed, which is a, a great feeling. Yeah. How long do you think the game's going to be relevant for? Oh, I think this is going to be around for a while. How long? Like, would you say like plus minus a year? I, I would say probably a couple. Wow. 
Because because the the factor of it is that it's that makes it so hard to get bored of is that you can only play once a day. So it's very much like people will incorporate it into their schedules on a daily basis and play it. Um, and it it is kind of addicting in the sense that after I get one, I want to get another. Yeah. It's that they just quick dopamine hit that like that it just really drives you. Like I know I showed my mom the game yesterday and she was playing it with my sister. They were trying to figure out uh, the word. I mean, they asked me for a hint and I gave it to them, but I shouldn't have. I just told them that the first letter was T. And because they just asked me, like, what's the first letter? Just tell me that. And I was like, so, like, okay, fine. It's T. Because I didn't, I didn't know it was T at first either. So, like, here, that was the hardest thing I found. So, there you go. And they got it. Uh, but anyway, afterward, they started playing all of, uh, all of the other New York time, um, like, just quick free games. And so, I feel like it brings a certain level of relevance to the New York Times, people who aren't necessarily as inclined to go pay for a subscription. And I feel like the more time people pay on, play on the website, I was saying this actually a couple of weeks ago, I feel like that kind of incentivizes and pushes people further to actually invest into like a membership with them, which is only like a dollar a month. So, that kind of, uh, that kind of vibe, I feel like this is going to very much fit into a lot of people's routines. I know it's fit into mine. I found it increasingly more fun day by day as I do it. Just like this winning streak is just absurdly fun to have but maybe that's just me jack what are your thoughts on that yeah no dude the winning streak is it right <laughs> like once you break the streak it's actually devastating and then it's i think like once you break the streak it's harder to want to get back into it it's kind of like if you journal every single day and like you're journaling for let's say like six months in a row literally talking about myself right now and then you miss a day you can no longer say that you've journaled six like six months in a row and then it's just like less satisfying so you just don't want to break the streak and i feel like that's also what makes the game addicting Wait, wait, wait. Hold up, hold up, hold up. You've journaled every day for six months? I did, and then I broke it, dude, and then I didn't journal for like a year. Yo, still though, six months is, is a, I can't commit to more than a couple times a week. And even then, like, that's very much like when I'm in my grind, I'll like wake up, make a to-do list, and underneath that, I'll call it my reflection of the day. And I'll just like write out my thoughts. But that, that's about it. So six months is still a huge accomplishment. Yeah, so I don't know, like 2019 was like maybe the craziest year of my life, like up until this point. And so it was right around that time that I actually was journaling, which I just got so lucky. So I started journaling August of that year. And then I continued journaling until like January of the next year. And then I missed like literally a week. And then I did not journal for like a year. Like I'm an idiot. <laughs> I should have just got back into it. But the second you break the streak, then it's like, oh, like I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it. Tomorrow. Like you just push it off. Whereas I feel like once you're in the streak, then you stay in it. But actually I'm on a 30 day streak right now. So I, I've gotten back into it now. I missed like a solid year of my life, which sucks because... I have like such a bad memory if I don't write stuff down, but I am back into it now. And when you, when you're on a streak, then you don't want to miss it. And like, it's the same thing with Wordle. Like if you miss a day of Wordle, like, do you just feel like bummed out? No, I, I feel that with, uh, with the gym. Like I didn't end up going to the gym. I didn't end up going to the gym today and I had anticipated going this morning. I just never, I just didn't find the time today. And I was, I was upset with myself. I was like, I could go do a late night workout, but then I won't sleep because I feel like after I, whenever I have a late night workout, I just can't sleep afterward. Um, for a couple of hours because my heart rate's just up and I'm just, I'm pumping. I got all that adrenaline flowing, but uh, that's what I feel like with the gym or with uh, reading. Wordle, has, I haven't gotten there yet with, but I feel like at the rate that I'm going at, I definitely will. Like there was one night I was up at three in the morning and I was like, ah, why not? I'll just do the Wordle today. And uh, I, the next morning when I didn't do it, I really missed the fact that I couldn't do it when I woke up. Yeah, especially because it expires. Like you can't go back and play the other games, which is so smart because if you could, then I think people would get bored of it because they could play like a hundred in a row. So it's actually really smart that you can play the past games. Like I play a color matching game and I actually, I'm going to use this as my first stuff we like this week as we transition into that. And if you are new here, stuff we like this week is this quick little segment at the end of every episode where Jack and I talk about some stuff that we did like this week, whether that be new media, um, games, just anything we've been doing on our free time to give you guys more of an insight into our lives. 
Uh, now I play this game. It's called color matching, or I think it's called uh, watercolor matching or something like that. It's a puzzle game where you have like different test tubes that have uh, like water in it. I guess, or like different colors of, of water or some type of liquid. And you're pretty much just trying to sort them out into uh, each of their own test tubes. And there are some where it's like you'll have the top row of colors, but then everything else underneath it will be question marks and grayed out. So you have to like just play around with it till you get it. So I found it, it's called Water Sort Puzzle. That's what it's called. I found that to be very fun, but the more I played it for the first little bit, I was addicted to it. Now I'm at like a level 115 and I'm like, okay, I'm not as interested anymore. And I feel like Wordle has that same kind of value problem. Exactly. If you play it too much, you're going to get bored. But if you don't play it enough, uh, you're going to miss that dopamine hit. Totally agreed. Totally agreed. Stuff we like this week? Yeah, absolutely. Jacqueline, go for it. What's something you like this week? I should have been more prepared here. Um, You know what? Actually, I watched Euphoria. We talked about... Did I already talk about this on the podcast or was this our conversation off the podcast? I think it was off the podcast. You were telling me about it last week. Okay, cool. Sorry for everyone if I already mentioned this, but I I think it was off the pod. Um, Doris recommended Euphoria to me. Disclaimer, it's like a very mature show. Certain scenes I actually found really disturbing and I did not like, but it is a cultural phenomenon and the directorial choices are really interesting. I also was saying to Darsh that it almost feels like a YouTube video to me in terms of like how optimized it is for storytelling. Like they show and don't tell like the main character Rue will like think something and then the scenario will actually play on screen even though it's never happened, which I think is really cool. And the editing and cuts are really fast, like faster to, in my opinion than m- most shows, which I think is just a testament to how short our attention spans are for like Gen Z and t- trying to compete with like TikTok and stuff. So a little bit, I'm not super into that because I, I like, I don't want to get to a point where I need to be so stimulated to like find something entertaining. But I feel like the character development on the show is so good. And they did like these two special episodes where like two of the main characters, Rue and Jules, I don't know if you saw the stars, like had a full hour episode. Mm-hmm. The one- Yeah, I watched yeah. this. Okay. Yeah. The one with Jules and like her therapist, I found like insane. Like it was just, I thought it was real. Like the acting was literally incredible. It, they, they have done a very good job. And uh, the actress who plays Jules and Zendaya who, play, who plays Rue are both phenomenal actresses and they've been able to really portray their role very, very well. Um, I believe with the actress who does play Jules is also part of the uh, transgender community. From my understanding, she is, well, she's playing a transgender woman in the show, but she's also part of that community. So that representation is for one huge, but then for another, it offers a new level of authenticity to the role where she's actually able to pull from her personal experiences uh, growing up and able to put this into this character, which I feel like adds this whole new level of authenticity that a lot of shows don't necessarily get. Yeah. And she wrote some of the script too, which was cool Mm -hmm. for that episode because it's like, Obviously, like someone that doesn't have that experience writing it would just not be as authentic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's like, like, honestly, great one. Yeah. Well, dude, it was yours like two weeks ago, so I'm stealing it a bit. But yeah, that's my first one for this week. What about you? Hey, it's stuff we like this week. Each of us. True. Don't worry. You're good. You're good. Mine for this week is going to be American Psycho. I've actually never seen it. I watched it last night for the first time and I thought it was absolutely phenomenal. Christian Bale is insane. He is such a good actor. And I, I haven't seen him in many other roles where he's like portrayed as a kind of a psychopath. And like, he, he played the role very well. I've only ever really, I think of Christian Bale, I think of Batman. So seeing him in the position of in, of a homicidal maniac, um, I thought was just absurdly well done. And he, he deserves so much praise for that role. Wow. Okay. I'm definitely going to check it out. Yeah, dude, your recommendations are always really good. The one thing I can't do is like horror movies. So like if there's anything graphic... it is a psychological thriller uh, about a murder, yeah, about no. a serial killer. So uh, <laughs> it might not be the best for, I should preface that. It is also a mature rated film. Uh, it is very, very well thought out and well done, but there are a lot of gory scenes in it. So if you aren't necessarily into that, I would recommend straying away from it. 
yeah, no, <laughs> I will not be watching that. Um, but for anyone that does like that, I'm sure that was a, an A1 wreck. All right, my next one for this week is a song, and it's a throwback song. You probably know it, Darsh. Year 3000 by Jonas Brothers. I know the song. I'm quite <laughs> aware of the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> it popped up on my, like, I was listening to a nostalgia playlist on Spotify, and it was just on there, and I was like, damn. Like, I remember being obsessed with this song when I was younger. It's, it's an insane song. It is. It it's is, pretty uh, good. It is a bop. Yeah. It is a bop and a half. I would absolutely say. Yeah. So that's my second one. What's your second one for this week? Okay. So my second one for this week is it's an oldie, but I've rediscovered it. So sometimes uh, when life becomes a little bit too much for me, uh, well, I used to do dance as a kid. I used to do Bollywood dance growing up. And so I, I do very much enjoy dancing, but I'm very much embarrassed by my dancing abilities because they aren't really necessarily great. So sometimes when I'm just like feeling a little overwhelmed, I'll go and I'll just like go to my bathroom at night, just put on some music, vibe out and just like dance. I do the same thing. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's like it's actually kind of a cathartic. It's like it's nice. It's like you're letting out that energy into something else. And for me, it's something I find fun, especially when I'm looking at myself because I like I will think that it looks cool and I would appreciate someone who danced like this, but I know it's not. It may not be the most <laughs> normal sense of dancing but that aside uh kanye west 808s and heartbreak i was listening to the entire album last night and just dancing and i thought it was so much fun and i just forgot how much of a genius he was like lyrically and with his music given his social media i would highly recommend his pr team to take a look at that if they haven't already but that's a whole different story yeah i know god there's been a lot of like harassment stuff that is unfortunate uh, there's he's been in the news too because a documentary came out right yeah, a, a new documentary came out about Kanye and I actually really want to watch it. That might be my uh, movie for tonight. But uh, I mean, I'll also add Kanye's uh, social media as another things I like this week. Not for all the harassment and uh, and the kind of hate that he's incited, but rather because of how funny it is. Like, like just looking back just as a as a as an audience member, someone who's appreciated his music for so many years. I look at this guy and I'm like, wow, he's really scrambling. He's really scrambling right now. And I feel bad, but I also am just like, this is kind of entertaining. It's weird, like, when public figures, like, personal lives play out in the public sphere. Because it's, like, it's almost like high school drama. Like, everyone re reacts to it in the same way. Except, like, obviously it's different because, like, there is harassment going on here. So, I don't want to minimize that. But, like, not this Kanye example. But let's just say, like, another example. Like, celebrity feuds actually suck for the celebrity involved. And people, like, dramatize it so much. And then the media, like, dramatizes it to get clicks. It's, it's, it's a reality show. Yeah. It's a reality show with no director. So these guys are actually playing on full emotion. So seeing like the way that this, that the Kanye situation has played out, I mean, again, as Jacqueline said, I do not condone the harassment that he has been providing for his ex-spouse and for her newfound boyfriend or her, or their kids, just anything to do with that. But at the same time, I just think it's, it's very much like a reality show in terms of how much drama has been coming out of it. And I, I'm kind of here for the drama, to be honest with you. I, I kind of like the tea. Yeah, dude, speaking of celebrities, my last stuff we like this week for this week is Emma Stone. I've been watching some of her interviews. She's like just genuinely so funny. Like before I go out or like I'm trying to like be on and funny and stuff, I'll watch like celebrities that I personally find their humor funny to like try to maybe have some of it rub off of me. And I've been watching a lot of her interviews as of late. She's just like good. She honestly, she is. She's a really funny character. I There's been a lot of rumors of her potentially being in... Uh, the Doctor Strange movie that's supposed to come out in May. Oh, really? Well, there's like rumors that she's gonna come. It's like she, like so, she died in the Amazon, say not Amazon, the Amazing Spider-Man two, uh, which was Sony's version or second iteration of the Spider-Man character. So she passed away after that. So what was interesting is that there is all these rumors that she's gonna be part of the multiverse and she's gonna show up as Spider-Man. Wow. And that's gonna like she'll come in as that character and she'll meet then Andrew Garfield 
um, on screen again as like Emma, as like Gwen and Gwen Stacy and Peter Parker for the first time since uh, she died. That would uh, on be screen. crazy. So, so I'm I'm a pretty big fan of Emma Stone. She was apparently supposed to, she was supposed to be in uh, No Way Home, like Spider Man, this pre- most previous one, but she was unfortunately not uh, due to COVID restrictions. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I cannot wait to see that movie when it comes out on like. Not DVD, but like on demand or whatever. Um, I haven't seen it yet, so I'm really excited. I've seen like scenes from it, but not the actual movie. But yeah, no, she's like a really talented actress too. Oh, absolutely. All right. Do you have a last one for this week? I do not, but I do want to... Actually, <laughs> no, I do have one. No, no, you know what? I do okay, have one. Go. I have one. I have one. It's our audience. Ooh. You guys are so supportive, so awesome. We love every single one of your comments and all the tweets you guys send us. So make sure to drop us a tweet, drop us a review. Just talk to us. We love to chat with you all and we love talking tech with you every single week. And with that being said, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I really hope that you guys did enjoy it. And if you did, again, make sure to drop that follow on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Check out the links down below for everything that we've uh, been talking about this week, as well as a huge thank you to Adil Constantine, as always, for the incredible intro and outro music. Jacqueline, any uh, final words? Um, happy birthday to Adil. I think his birthday is this week or next week. So happy birthday, Adil, if you're, if you're listening. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Uh, we're trying out some interesting experimental stuff on our Twitter and Instagram. So you should definitely give it a follow, Digital Dive Pod on both. And we'll catch you next week, 7 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Eastern. Bye.